All right. Well, welcome. Uh, welcome to the second uh, time getting together in this uh, biblical leadership series for men. Um, we're going to change things up a little bit this time and go ahead and go with the PowerPoint. So I hope everybody can see that okay. Um, and I'll ask for forgiveness in advance for some of the silly things I put in there as well. Um, but I think to start off with, uh, I think as, as men, it's good that we get together and we pray. I was in Harriet the last couple days. Yes, Harriet, South Dakota. Uh, and if you haven't been there, you're really missing out. But it was the occasion was uh, Northern Plains Classes. Uh, it's a kind of a regional meeting of RCUS churches. And the brothers there uh, collectively send their greetings to the church in Rapid City. Uh, several, uh, David asked about you and how you were doing and everything. Uh, so great, uh, great care and love and concern. And I went there on really just to just to learn more and try to understand. And uh, boy, I I got a nice lesson. <laughs> Uh, and I have a much deeper appreciation for our brothers in the Northern Plains classes. Um, so with that, uh, and what I'm leading up to is in one such conversation, I made reference to having spent time in prayer on a particular topic and how, how God had answered that prayer. And the response back was, was, stop, stop. So you started with prayer, yeah. And And he says, oh... I'm so pleased to hear that. <laughs> and so it's good when men get together, and it's good when we collectively lift up our hearts in prayer. So let's do so now. Let's pray. O oh Lord God Almighty, how great and wonderful is your name in all the earth. We pray that your name would be praised, lifted up on high. We pray that your word would be loved. We pray, Father, for your church, that you would add to the number of your church, build us in holiness and sanctification, strengthen us in service out of thankfulness. We pray, Father, forgiveness for our sins. We come before you as, as those who have blatantly turned against you, who have done what we wanted instead of what you wanted, and we confess these sins before you and praise you for the blood of Jesus Christ who covered our sins completely, has given us full and complete reconciliation with you through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would strengthen us against temptations that are all around. Let not the evil one get a hold of us. We come to you with these requests because you and you only have all the power, the honor, the glory. It's all yours forever and ever. Bless this time together as men in studying your word. Give us understanding and use this understanding in service to you. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, well, a month ago... We opened up our study uh, by defining what is uh, leadership. <clears throat> okay, 
I show a blank screen. What happened? There we go. All right. Maybe if I push the right button. Um, so we opened up by defining what is leadership. And after considering uh, attributes of leadership among men that we generally consider as leaders, and there was a whole host of them, we finally came to the biblical definition of leadership as given in Mark chapter 9, and in that passage, verses 33 through 37, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So we defined leadership in terms of servanthood. A leader is a servant. Matthew 23, verse 11, also has the statement, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. To exercise leadership is to exercise servanthood. To be a leader is to be a servant um, first. Oh, i got to keep up. <clears throat> to be a leader is to be a servant first with Christ. So Christ delivered us from our sins, and so our leadership or our servanthood is first directed to Christ. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, from there, our servanthood is then directed to others. Notice where the servanthood doesn't go. <laughs> it doesn't go to self. This is selflessness. Um, and our servant leadership is driven by a servant's heart. You know, interestingly, not uh, last, yeah, it was early last week, I was in a phone call with a, a group of men in the RCUS, and we were discussing filling a, a uh, vacant position with Synod. And uh, in this discussion, one of the members of this group, uh, I, I knew of his skills and I was just testing. I wasn't recruiting, I was just testing and saying, so before we go any further, do you have any interest in this position? And his response was telling. Uh, I didn't think he was interested, and it turns out he really wasn't, but this was his answer. He, he said, uh, after giving some pause, he said, Brothers, I desire to serve, and wherever you guys think I can serve best, I would be willing to do. That, that struck me, because that was a full servant's heart on display. It's, uh, and this is not a very popular position to fill, actually. <laughs> but he said, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> I could see deep inside he didn't want to do it. But he said, if that's what you want, then that's what I'll do. That was a servant's heart, and I called him out on it and, and thanked him for his display of a servant's heart. Uh, well, last week we also looked inside the servant's heart and saw first and foremost a spirit of humility. Matthew twenty three twelve says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we talked about perhaps the greatest leader uh, that, that other than Christ himself in the Bible would be Moses. And, what, uh, and his attribute, his key attribute for which he's known, Numbers 
uh, is being identified as the most humble person that ever lived. Not a big surprise. Well, our brother Don last week also added one more key element that I left out, and that key element, element in the servant leader's heart is love. It's a love for God that drives our love for others and that places God's glory above our own and the best welfare for others above our own needs and desires. So that's the pattern that we, we followed. A leader is not one that's directed this way, but is first and foremost directed this way. And by directing this way, it colors our relationship outward with others. So anything else to add to that before we introduce today's lesson? Any other thoughts? <clears throat> well, so the next, uh, the next question is, how does this happen? How is it that we as men uh, develop or inculcate a heart that is humble? That's our lesson this morning. How is it that we, uh, uh, that we inculcate that heart that loves, desires to serve, and is driven to please God and benefit others? And that's what we're discussing this morning. Uh, how do we get from here to there? Or in other words, as men, as leaders in our homes, in the workplace, in the community, and in the church, how do we grow in leadership. One of my favorite movies, Fiddler on the Roof. I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase Tevia. Tevia says, and that I can tell you in one word. How do we get from here to there? And the answer is not tradition. <laughs> the answer is sanctification. That's how we get from there here to there. Hence, our lesson this morning is on the sanctified leader. For some, this is a relatively new concept. Others, you guys know this really, really well. So those of you who know it really well, uh, I, I pray that this is an equally satisfying steak dinner for you also. Uh, nevertheless, it's good for all of us to review and recommit. Uh, so to understand sanctification, uh, oh, there it is. What is sanctification? To understand sanctification, we first need to understand justification. Sanctification doesn't make sense without knowing what justification is. And justification refers to our standing with God. To be justified is to be righteous before God. We take a look at Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved, or much more than having, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So let's, let's first take a look at that, uh, that part, while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. So God looks upon us, Maybe did I, did I put that down there? Yeah, I did. But God looks upon us, really, uh, there's, we are definitely unloving. 
uh, were not a, uh, were just uh, unattractive, uh, repelling to God because of our sinful heart and our sinful actions. Uh, and God, nevertheless, God loved us and demonstrated his love through Jesus Christ. So, I mean, stop and reflect on that just a moment. Uh, we, on our own volition, out of our own sinful heart, we turned against God, yet God demonstrated his love toward us. Marvel at that. Relish in that. A person ha- does not have the same appreciation for grace until you know from whence we came. Uh, Verse 9 says that we were justified uh, by his blood. So that word justified, uh, the word justified there, it means to render uh, as innocent. To, sh- to render or show or regard as just or innocent. This is a legal term as a result of judgment. Because of Christ's perfect righteousness, his atoning death on the cross, his conquering of death in the resurrection, and his ascension as our eternal king, God has declared all those who are in him through faith in Christ as just. The gavel came down. You are just. It's a legal term that says you are just. You are just. When God looks upon us, he looks upon us as if we had never sinned. It is Christ's righteousness that he sees in us. This is a one-time event. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, verse 12. This is a one-time thing. We are justified. We are righteous before God. Speaking of righteous before God, question and answer 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In part, in response to the question, how are you righteous before God? The answer says, yet God, without any merit of mine of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never committed nor had any sins, and had myself accomplished all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled for me. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so that's question and answer 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So let's talk about this. Um, so with, uh, with visions of gardening grandeur, you know how it is. It's kind of a rite of spring. You get the get the uh, planters ready, get the garden ready, do all the tilling and and all of that, and all the while I have in my thoughts this nice, luscious garden that's going to come from these seeds. Um, uh, I can't tell you the number of times that I've planted uh, seeds or a seed, maybe my source, I don't know, and and nothing's happened. <laughs> And just out of curiosity, I go to uh, dig it up, and it's rotten. There's, there's nothing there. It's lifeless. There's nothing about it. Well, that's a picture 
That's a picture of our heart, Jeremiah 17:9, our deceitful and desperately wicked hearts. Uh, yet God took our rottenness and made it alive. We have new life that can't be taken away from us. Being no longer enslaved to sin and eternal destiny of hell, we are now free to grow and become fruitful, which brings us to sanctification. And so to quote Francis Schaeffer, how then shall we live? So let's make it clear that our sanctification does not contribute to justification. Our justification is a one-time event. We have right standing with God. We are righteous before God, period, end of story. But we don't stay that way. We don't stay in that seedling state. And that's what the lesson's about this morning. Um, Being born again does not mean staying in the ground in our cozy, life-giving surroundings. As one born again, we now grow. And that's the process called sanctification. The word used for sanctify means to make holy. The root of this word is holy. Who, who remembers? What does holy mean? Set apart. That's right. We are set apart. We are not like everybody else because we've been delivered. We're set apart. So what happens during this set-apartness? It's the act, uh, sanctification thus, is the act of growing in holiness. First Thessalonians uh, 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The rest of it there, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The context of this verse, of course, is in maintaining sexual purity, uh, nevertheless, it's clear that we don't stay in our current state uh, of being justified in Christ. Rather, we are to grow in holiness. Another good passage is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of, of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you notice in this passage, right away in the first part, you see therefore. So I see some of the students in my, my teen class that are here. So when you see the word therefore, what happens? Red flag comes up. <laughs> okay. Therefore means that's a signal. And in this case, or when you, whenever you see uh, therefore, uh, it says everything that has been said up to this point is now coming to a conclusion. So what is it that was said up to this point in, uh, before we get to uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2? Uh, is right here, sin, salvation, and now service. In light of everything said up to this point, in the first part of Romans, we learn all about our sin. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And the second part of Romans then walks through the atonement of Christ. And so now because of our sinfulness and because of our 
atonement. Now comes the, uh, the, the next transition into service. Therefore, because of this, now this. Grow in holiness. In other words, live thankfully before the Lord. Uh, there's much more. Let's see, did we get that? Oh, oops. Jumped ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, much more can be said here, but suffice it for now to say that we are to grow in holiness. And before we go on to talk about specific ways in which to grow in holiness, we need to clarify uh, quite a few questions that may come up. And one of those, as you see on there, so what, what makes sanctification a uniquely male thing? I mean, we're here as men. We're here to talk about leadership. I mean, don't women go through the same thing? Women go through justification and, and sanctification uh, and the answer is, yes, of course they do. Uh, but what does this have to do with leadership? What does this have to do with being men? Uh, and this is where, oops, we got those questions. This is where we have to connect the dots. First of all, understand, remember that men, we are leaders. And as we talked about last month, it's not that we ought to be leaders, uh, the Bible tells us we are leaders. That's not the question. The question is, what kind of leaders are we? Uh, so the Bible has already told us we are leaders. We are leaders first in the home, and a, a later lesson we'll talk about leadership in the church. But we are leaders in the home. So let's connect the dots. Uh, that means that as men, we have been given a God-given role. It is God who gave us this role. Um, when you say the word male leadership, it's actually a redundant term. Uh, and so, hence, sanctification is for men directly related to being a man, and the role is given us, and that as leaders assigned by God at home and in the church, we need to grow in holiness. Right there. Hence, sanctification is directly related to being a man with leadership in the home and in the church. So that's when you connect the dots. And that's what makes sanctification, in this case, in our study this morning, uniquely uh, applicable to men. Okay, take a stop and take a breather right there. Any other, what, what comments, questions might you have at this point? Mm-hmm. Ah, yep. Excellent. Yep, that's right. And that's and that's not an accident. I mean, that's the first test of leadership. Uh, what kind of a leader are you in your home? Well, now the question comes up, and really uh, it's going to be the central part of what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we grow in, in uh, holiness? So we took our quick time out to answer the whole difference about how it applies to men. But how do we grow in holiness? Well, to start off with, I want to tell you about our three trees in our front yard. 
So I'm going to I'm going to ask our uh, our brother over there in the corner to close his ears because I got to tell you I have killed a lot of trees over the years. Uh again, these visions of of these giant flowering trees and fruit and everything else. Uh I think I lost count. I've killed a lot of trees over the years. Uh, I think you're getting the picture that my thumb is not real green. Uh, but there are three trees that survived in our front yard. And it, it's wonderful, but the trees themselves give a, give a great lesson. You see, on the, on the furthest, uh, furthest east part of the front yard, and they're all lined up, three trees right next to each other, is this tree. I'm just thankful it's alive. Uh, but it really hasn't grown very much. Um, and then you go to the west and you go to the middle tree and it's actually a little bigger than, than that tree. And it's, uh, and again, I'm thankful that it's live, but it's definitely flourishing much more than the tree on the east side. And then you know what's coming. The next tree, oh, man, it's beautiful. It's huge. It's, it's big. It's, it, it even throws shade <laughs> uh, in, in the yard, and it's wonderful. And so you wonder, what's, what's the difference? Why is it? And uh, I'm, I'm going to demonstrate my superior arbor skills by telling you <laughs> that uh, when the water drains in the yard, guess where it all puddles? <laughs> Yeah, it puddles in that big tree. It gets a lot of water. And sometimes with heavier rains, the puddle gets out a little bit further to that middle tree. It doesn't get nearly as much as that big tree. And then, well, guess who gets the leftovers? The one on the way end. Uh, so that, of course, brings us right to how do we grow in holiness? We're going to start with Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who not, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Here it comes. And he, in his law he meditates day and night. There's the nourishment part. And what's the result? Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall not prosper or shall prosper, excuse me. So in verse 1, we see the word counsel who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Counsel refers to advice, plan, purpose, that's the definition of counsel. We are bombarded every day with hundreds, uh, maybe that's short, maybe it's more like thousands, of messages every day. Messages of advice, plan, purpose, buy this, do this, believe this, support this. We get it all the time. See, again, referring to our, our brother Don. So Don and, and uh, Corey and myself served together 
for about 15 years as a high school officiating crew. And I often describe the scenario when you're in a small town and you get, uh, you're standing on the sideline before the game and, and some poor junior or senior is singing the national anthem, all nervous as all get out. And, but you just look out at the crowd and you look at the flag and you just, I couldn't help it, you know, tears start building up like, this is Americana, this is wonderful. But then it's time to play the game and we got lots of free counsel. <laughs> uh, there was no shortage of counsel coming from fans and coaches uh, and sometimes the players. Well, we get lots of free counsel every day, don't we? Lots of free counsel. Well, but what does the Bible tell us? We're blessed if we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Um, any messages outside the bounds of Scripture, well, they're worthless. Blessed is the man who does not walk in this counsel. However, the counsel that we do receive in verse 4 is our delight. The word delight means pleasure, desire, something of value. This is something of value. There's a longing to have this. And the counsel is here called the law of God, what we know today is the word of God, the Bible, the entire Bible. And look what the psalmist does with the word. He meditates on it day and night. Think back to those trees, the nourishment that that large tree received all the time. The man of God meditates on the, on the word day and night. That word to uh, meditate means to murmur, to ponder, to speak, to study. Sometimes I, I find I, I chasten myself like, come on, stay focused, but then I realize I'm actually meditating on it. I'll read something in the Bible or uh, in my prayer, my mind will start drifting to applying that or thinking of some stupid thing that I did and how it ran counter to what I just read and, and how can do better. And then afterwards I realize, oh, I think that was meditation. Um, so you meditate, you study. I went to uh, uh, the Institute on Expository Preaching by Steve Lawson. And there, first of all, I thought I was going to be one of the only elders. It wasn't. About a third of the guys there were elders. It was wonderful being able to mix with those guys. But when we walked in the door... Uh, in that very first session, Lawson had up on the screen right behind him those three words, read every word. How often do we go to the Bible and say, yep, check, got that chapter done, and then go back, oh, no, what did I just read? So take the time to read every word. This isn't a meditation that empties your mind as Eastern religions would have you do, but fills your mind with what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Um, <clears throat> let's see what was next. By being in the word day and night, we grow just like a tree planted by the waters, the nourishment that we receive from the word. And so that brings us to I'm going to introduce, uh, introduce to you uh, your new TLA.
uh, TLA refers to a three-letter acronym. So your new TLA, and I got to make sure I got this right. Um, so here it is. Your new TLA is SLM. We're going to take a look at uh, five SLMs. And so the first one is uh, Sanctified Leader Mandates. So we're going to take a look at five SLMs in the rest of our time here this morning. Uh, and and I, know, I know as we go through them, you're going to be absolutely stunned at, at the utter brilliance of what each of the SLMs Actually, you're going to end going, uh, yeah, I think we knew that. <laughs> yeah, but it's good to talk about it again. All right, so hang on to a big, big shock. Let's see, what do we got here? Oh, sanctified, uh, also known as SLMs. Now, this is the uh, water or the nourishment that's needed to grow in sanctification. All right, it's a good thing you're all sitting down because here it comes, SLM number one. I know you're going to be stunned. Read your Bible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you, Josiah. Josiah stopped to sit down so he wouldn't fall over in reading that. Thank you. Uh, read your Bible every day. And there are three parts to that. Read it personally. Spend time in, in the Bible alone. Read your Bible with your wife. Uh, for those of you who are unmarried, that would be kind of hard to do right now. But when you do enter into a courtship relationship, I would suggest uh, that this SLM will apply there as well. You enter into that relationship courting a young lady for a potential marriage, that you do spend time reading the Bible together. Um, and that's a good, good way to, to uh, start things off. And then also read with your family. Uh, I, I'll, I'm going to ask for forgiveness because I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to target anybody or anything. Just because, you know, as, as elders too, we hear this all the time, and there does need to be a degree of grace. I, I know that, and so it's with grace that I want to say that very often we hear somebody when we ask, "So tell us about your Bible reading." And the response is, I try to, and then fill in the blank. I try to. Well, you just want to just kind of jump in there and gently say, well, <clears throat> do you try to eat every day? Do you try to sleep every day? I mean, this we're not talking about something that, you know, that's kind of like icing on the cake of life. This is essence. This is of spiritual essence. You want to do it. You want to schedule, actually schedule your day around it. Uh, it's, it's that important. Um, there's a number of Bible reading plans. Uh, in fact, I just hear from you guys. What are, what are some of your favorite Bible reading plans? What are some of the, especially some of your older guys, Ah.
Yeah, that's a great option. So audio Bible plans. Mm-hmm. Ah, very good. Very good. Bible's meant to be read out loud. What, uh, uh, yeah, that's a good point to add. Who else? What else for another Bible reading plan? Ah. Mm-hmm. In a year. So that typically that's uh like three Old Testament, one New Testament chapter. Yeah. So if you do get Table Talk magazine, it does have it right there on the corner about uh, Bible reading plan in a year. Yep. For you, uh, for you radio folks, I know I, I don't know if it's systematic, but uh, if you've ever listened to uh, RefNet, that's by Legionnaire Ministries, and quite frequently during the hour, yeah, yeah, then they'll uh, they'll have a Bible reading going on. There's I I don't even know if I spell it right, but there's another one that that I've been using this year is. How, Machine, is that how you say it? Anybody else? McShane? Okay. Is that. And what I like about. What I like is that. I'm sure I butchered it. Uh, What I like about this is uh, your four chapters a day goes to different parts of the Bible. Which, when you do it that way, then it makes you kind of stop and, and, and look at it as opposed to continuous reading for several chapters and then you lose focus and, and so forth. And these are, these are plans that talk about in a, in a year. Uh, I, I kind of started, I started the, the practice of doing that every other year and then in the off years then I would focus on particular topics or a particular book of the Bible and really go in depth into what it is. Um, so there's there are some plans, and if you need some help with it, there's some men here who've got a great experience with it and be glad to share. When we talk about uh, uh, Bible reading plans, when we talk about uh, with our with our wives, remember 1 Corinthians uh, 14.35. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14.35, uh, Paul directs wives to 
ask their husbands at home about uh, about some things that might have been discussed in the church uh, and so forth. But let's be honest, how many of us, when we married, our knowledge of the Bible was minuscule compared to our wives? I was one. I was that. But we can't stay there. Uh, we need to grow every day, grow and study and learn so that we can fulfill, so we can provide that for our wives, so we can be that resource for our wives. All right, are we ready for SLM number two? Okay, you are going to be equally stunned at, uh, at seeing this one. Pray, pray some more, and then pray again. Uh, prayer needs to be part of our daily lives. First uh, Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And again, we pray uh, alone. We pray with our wives. We pray with our families. So in this way, we're praying without ceasing. Our, our, our go-to should be a matter of prayer. Remember, this is spiritual warfare that we're in. Uh, make no mistake, there's a target on our backs. We're seeing, we're seeing this war carried out right in front of us. The feminization of society, uh, the uh, emasculation of, of men in, in our nation today. Uh, we're in this war. And to not engage in prayer is a big mistake. We need to be in prayer all the time. We need that strength. And the prayers. Prayers, uh, first of all, we opened in our prayer opening today, if you recognized it, it was essentially the Lord's Prayer, taking the petitions of the Lord's Prayer and praying that. Uh, prayer can be, you know, however you pour out your heart. But I can't tell you the number of times in my prayer that my prayer was just a one word. I didn't know what else to say. Help. I don't know what to do. Help. Just, and then just, just be there on my knees and, and, and sometimes in tears and saying, help. Um, that's an effective prayer. Um, Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, of course, 1 Peter 5.8 likens uh, the devil as a roaring lion seeking to devour us. Spend time in prayer. Pray again. I had an incident uh, yesterday. And uh, so coming back from Harriet, and I'm, I'm uh, by Philip, uh, just just driving west of Philip, and as I was going, this this little car uh, just zipped past me. And now this we're this is at dusk. What's the first thing that comes to your mind at dusk west of Philip? <laughs> Deer. <laughs> and he's zipping by me, and I'm thinking, oh. First of all, I was a little irritated, like what an idiot. <laughs> and then I caught myself. And and I and I offered up a prayer, Oh Lord, protect him, please.
please. <laughs> and, and then not long after that, then a big old white pickup zipped by me. And he, I was going 60, <laughs> but he zipped by me. And same thing, lifted up prayer for him. I'm not, not two or three minutes later. There they are, both pulled off on the side, up ahead. And I pull over behind him. And sure enough, that first guy with the little car, his front fender was gone. His, uh, his, his headlight and, and hood was smashed in. Uh, and, yep, it, he, he got a deer. And, and, he was, and he stepped out. I caught him just as he stepped out. And the other guy, he stepped out of the pickup, and he started walking back. And, and the very first thing was, are you okay? And, of course, he says, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so anyway, there was answered prayer right off the bat. God's hand of protection. Um, so pray, pray some more, and pray again. That's any other thoughts on prayer? You know, the time, the time in prayer with my wife. Those are, those are cherished times um, that I've had. Anyway, yeah, Dan. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, there's no prohibition against it. What you don't want to do is be like the Pharisee who who recites it without thinking and just an automatic and you know, it's it's gonna be the the good luck charm, so to speak. But yeah, there are some wonderful prayers that are very useful and very encouraging. David, can you take a shot at that? those who are uh, who are viewing that didn't catch any of that 
uh, a question had to do with uh, what is the uh, heavenly places in this case, and, and David talked about uh, three uses of heaven in Scripture. Uh, bottom line, this is referring to the air or atmosphere, uh, and I take it then that means that, you know, Satan permeates uh, worldliness all over. Mm-hmm. sounds like a good study in of itself yep all right looking at the time i'm going to jump next to slm number three number three of our five in this uh, stirring revelation to everybody and here comes number three attend worship um, another shocking statement hebrews 10 24 uh, tells us to uh, stir up love and good works to not neglect the gathering of ourselves or the assembling of ourselves together, but talking about that stirring up love and good works among ourselves. This, yeah, David. Probably uh, okay. Uh, SLM, yeah. Pretend that uh, uh, that word, oh wait, I didn't add service on there. <laughs> Pretend that's attend worship service, um, which would be more accurate. Thank you, David. Um, so in, in uh, uh, there's a reference here, uh, Exodus 31, uh, verse 13. Uh, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you and throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord. That's one purpose. And what's the second one? Who sanctifies you? There is certainly sanctification from worship, from worship service. Uh, and, of course, the Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is nourishment. There's nourishment that takes place in the worship service. There's a nourishment that we give and a nourishment that we get, both of which are essential for our sanctification. And above all, we gather as God's people because God has commanded us to gather as his people in worship, to observe the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. And remember, too, you know, I I remember a conversation with one uh, sports coach related to one of my daughter's uh, sports who wanted to leave on a Sunday morning to go to some clinic. And, uh, and I said, well, 
you don't need to be there. I mean, that time you can leave later and, and, and so forth. But, oh, no, didn't want to do that. And then, but, the, but the thing that struck me was she said, you know, she's not going to be a bad, not going to turn out to be a bad person by missing worship or missing church. And I, I did get pretty indignant at that point. And I said, it's not about being good or bad. It's about coming and worshiping God who saved us. <laughs> uh, why wouldn't you want to worship him for everything that you've done, that he's done, rather? Um, so we gather together and we attend worship service. And thank you for that distinction. Yeah. Uh, and remember, too, that the church is the body of Christ, and it's made up of many members. And when somebody's absent, it's like a part of the body's chopped off, not present. Um, it is in worship, at the worship service, that you hear the preaching of God's word, that you partake of the sacraments, sing hymns, pray as a people, give your tithes and offerings, and have fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And really, when you tie it all in together, it's such a tiny, tiny piece of heaven, a tiny piece of that wonderful blessing that we're going to enjoy. Other thoughts on worship service? Yeah, Larry. Yeah, how do you encourage? <laughs> well, first of all, you know, first reaction is, we, we do speak the truth, and we lovingly speak the truth about gathering together. Um, but uh, sometimes we, we forget that we are not the Holy Spirit, so we, we don't change the heart, but we pray for the person. We pray for the Holy Spirit to change the heart. Our task is to simply speak the truth and live the truth. Uh, our brother, uh, uh Pastor Kevin Carroll in Mitchell, he preached on the Fourth Commandment uh, in, in Mitchell last week. I thought he did a fine job. But, uh, but there on question 103 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which remember, for those of you unfamiliar with the Heidelberg Catechism, this is essentially systematic theology. So this is taking what the Bible says and systematically presenting it in, in theological format. So this, is, uh, this was written in uh, 1563. Uh, and so anyway, wonderful resource. But this is what it says. What does God require in the fourth commandment? In the first place, God wills that the ministry of the gospel in schools be maintained and that I, especially on the day of rest, diligently attend church to learn the word of God to use the holy sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian alms. In the second place, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works, allow the Lord to work in me by his Spirit, and thus begin in this life the everlasting Sabbath. So what you don't find in here is a list of do's and don'ts. You know, don't, don't walk 4,000 steps, uh, or don't do this, or don't do that. Uh, but it does highlight what are those essentials. The essential is uh, the ministry of the gospel, uh, diligently attending church or worship service. And then beyond that, 
all my life is a, is a life of rest from evil works, seeking out to grow in sanctification. All right, so we ready for the next one? SLM number four. Here it comes. Study. Uh, so we've got uh, read your Bible, uh, pray, attend worship service. Study is another part um, that we need to take a look at. Don't stay in one place in biblical knowledge. I think Dan shared with us a good uh, a good example uh, reading the prayers of the Puritans. Um, boy, what a great resource. Uh, there are many good uh, study helps in books. Um, but uh, here our reference is Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food begins to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we don't stay in one place in knowledge, but we need to be continually studying. And I want to talk about some of the, some of the resources. Uh, Sunday school, you know, no brainer. <laughs> I mean, Sunday school is a is a is a source of learning and growing in the Word of God. Uh, Bible study. I know we've got the Sunday evening Bible study, and I know individually there's little Bible studies going on. Uh, there are uh, there are some great great books out there. I know. I think at least once or twice a year, David asks me, "So, what are you reading right now?" <laughs> so refer to, to what it is I'm reading. Uh, and then there's some great podcasts out there. Uh, some of my favorite, and maybe hear some of yours, um, the World News Group, uh, The World and Everything in It. Uh, it's a great podcast. Uh, it gives, gives the news from a biblical uh, point of view. And then um, another one, if you can, if you can handle it, because if you get too deep into it, Don knows what I'm talking about. You can easily be depressed for several weeks on end. Albert Moeller's, uh, what is his podcast called? The Briefing, yeah. He takes headlines and then uh, discusses headlines from a Christian point of view, biblical point of view. It could be depressing. <laughs> uh, the, uh, what, what, what are other, other books, podcasts, things that, uh, that you found? find helpful. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Ah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Jot that one down. Truth for life. I uh Every time I hear Alistair beg, I, uh, I think of a, I think it was at a synod meeting or something, and we're chatting <clears throat> with a bunch of pastors, and and uh, 
one of them made the statement, it's just not fair. It just isn't fair. Because <laughs> he's got this Scottish accent and <laughs> so easy to listen to. Um, but anyway, yeah, good one. What else? Oh, yeah. In fact, I would say that that was instrumental uh, in our brother uh, Dave McPherson at the when when this church began was the White Horse Inn. Ah, yep, yep, good. Those are some good ones that you may want to take a look at. In fact, I'm going to try each of those as well. I just I just put down on here just this last year, these are three of the books that I read that I would commend to others. Uh, speaking of Alastair Begg, uh, Brave, that's his uh, uh, discussion on uh, the book of Daniel. Um, uh the Lessons from the Upper Room, that one was good. Steve Lawson's, uh, It'll Cost You Everything. So, And those are easy reads as well and very, very down-to-earth and applicable. So and there's, there's any number of resources, just even sitting in our library here for ready access. Um, and if you ever have any questions as to any potential books or anything, I mean, any, any one of the elders will... I'll tell you, or any of the uh, older members of the congregation. All right, are we ready to move on to the final, the final SLM? Uh, I suspect that as I give you the final SLM, it's not, uh, these five are not exhaustive. I'm sure there's more. I have no doubt that I've missed some. Uh, but I'm going to go on to this next one, number five, Engage. Romans uh, 12, verses 9 through 13, tells us, uh, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. Our first and most important engagement is with our wife. When, when the commandment to the second table of the law is summarized by love your neighbor as yourself, the very first and foremost one would be our wife. Our wives? How do you, yeah, our wives. <laughs> uh, so that's our first and most important engagement. We are united as one flesh, and as head we must take extra care engaging with our wives as partners, equal in dignity, wisely benefiting from their good gifts, and loving them as God's precious gift. That's, that's what headship is talking about. That's what leadership is. Leadership, uh, and we'll talk more about that in the next few months, but it's not lording over. Uh, it's not keeping, keeping her in her place, uh, 
or treating her as a lesser individual. It's loving her as your partner, remembering that you and I are incomplete without our wives. Uh, we joke that we're not perfect. You're right. We're not. <laughs> not even close. Um, we need our wives. We really do. Uh, I mean, duh. That's why she was even created. But more on that later. Uh, our next level of engagement is the children. Uh, so fathers, I don't know if you truly, if all of us truly grasp the profound impact that we have on the children. We have a very profound impact on our children. Um, it's another lesson entirely that we'll address in coming months, but suffice it to say, that relationship is essential. You know, those are, there are those of us who, who grew up without fathers, uh, but yet were, uh, were provided godly men who served in that function in, in intervening uh, times. But that relationship is so crucial. I, I remember, and some of you might remember, James Dobson, in one of his comments early on in the ministry of uh, Focus on the Family, talking about the prison experience. And uh, it's remarkable that among prison inmates, uh, around Mother's Day, the number that go out of their way to express or send something or do something for their mothers, along with the heartfelt sorrow of, 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 uh, of uh, what they did as it relates to their mothers. Father's Day, on the other hand, come and go without even batting an eye. Uh, just, and so if you go across and you see what's, what's consistent, the non-relationship with fathers among those who are in prison. Uh, if you can even say that about all the school shootings. It hasn't really come, been right out and said, but... Every single case, either there was no father or there was an estranged or non-existent relationship with father. That relationship is profound. And so we must engage our children. Another important engagement is hospitality. Inviting others, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ, into our homes and spending time with them is a great source of encouragement in building relationships. So that time of hospitality is also important. Engaging with one another as brothers and sisters in the church. Besides, we're going to be hanging out with everybody for eternity. <laughs> it's a good place to start right here. Uh, engaging in the needs of the church. Neighbors in the community are also opportunities to live as salt and light. And, and believe me, I'm speaking this to, to myself also. Uh, my wife gently nudged me uh, after listening, I don't know if, uh, what sermon or what, what we just read about hospitality and about uh, engaging the neighbors. And definitely convicted. You know, I got a neighbor who, who uh, built something that I have to look out my sunroom now and look at, and I'm not real happy about it. <laughs> But then comes, so what have I done to visit and get to know this particular neighbor? 
zip. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm convicted. So maybe, Lord willing, I'll give you a, a good update in the next few months. Um, so the result of all of this, the uh, result of each of these SLMs and growing in sanctification comes down to this. We produce good fruit. Growing in sanctification means that through good, healthy nourishment, we are ever growing and producing good fruit. Matthew seven seventeen. even so every good tree bears good fruit, and good fruit equals good works. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 adds this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ. For what reason? So that we can stay right where we are and say, Yep, oh yeah, baby, I'm in. I'm in. This is good. No, here's the reason that's given. For good works. And so this is the fruit of sanctification, is good works. Much more we can say. Our growth as men, as uh, leaders inherent with manhood, is a journey with plenteous valleys and hilltops, filled with unfettered joys, heartbreaking sorrows, and seemingly mundane daily living. Yet it is in this very journey itself that we grow in faith, trust, and love for our Savior Jesus Christ, who graciously set us on this journey in full confidence of how it'll end in the loving presence of our Lord forever. So, in conclusion, uh, having been delivered, uh, let's see, from our own sins through the precious blood of Christ as men with God-given leadership roles, we are to grow in sanctification that we may bear good fruit to the glory of God. Um, and in... Uh, just a glimpse into next month when we get together. Uh, next month's message is the leadership message. So this has to do with how do we communicate. And we take a look at different levels of communication and how we use our communication. So any thoughts before we close on this? Yes. Ah. I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, so let's pray for one another on that. Yeah. All right, any other comments? Thanks so much for sitting through this, and, and thanks for your comments and, and building these lists and such. And I pray that uh, God uses this for uh, all of our uh, edification, for our sanctification. Scott, would you close in prayer for us?